Every one of you that stayed up last night to watch Oilers Sharks is a sicko. Uh, yesterday was Sports Sicko Day. Truly. You're watching a Mexico City basketball game with the Atlanta Hawks and Orlando Magic. A Thursday night football game among the worst I've ever seen. Truly. I'm sure there were many other primetime games that were awful. I remember all the color rush stuff where it was just Jaguars, Titans every single weekend in a battle of who gives a crap. But that one... Even for me, even though I hit my best bet that I tweeted out and that I mentioned on the show yesterday, it was horrific. It was painful. It was no good. I, I, I said as much on Twitter, but if you're a Carolina Panthers fan, you should be allowed to switch teams and no one should be able to say anything. It's one of those things where if you go, uh, I'm, a, I'm a Packers fan. Oh, who's your favorite player? Well, I don't really know yet because I was a Panthers fan. You're basically just a sports refugee where we just take you in. Hey, we do our very best to set you up with a new life in a safer place because Bryce Young just is, he is not it. I know you're wearing your Alabama football shirt today, Drew. Yeah, I don't know. I loved, they, they, there was a point in the broadcast where they, they say, Herb Street goes, you know, they're really focusing on telling Bryce Young, he doesn't have to score 50 points like Alabama. And I went, good thing, because he can't score seven points. So let's focus on seven before you start bringing up 50. I watched a lot of Russell Wilson. He could roll out. He could throw a deep ball. He could make plays with his legs. He, he was just a playmaker. Kyler Murray, same thing. Kyler Murray had some up and downs in the NFL, another short quarterback. But he was, he's just a, as electric as a runner. And another guy who could make a play down the field. I've seen him make plays down the field. I know it's Bryce Young's first year in the NFL. I promise you he will never be it. He will not. He will not be it. He's too small. He's too frail. He's going to take some hits and it's just going to be, it's, it's going to be a doomsday scenario for him. He can't see over the middle of the field at all unless he, he climbs the pocket and the, the, the line split. That's the only way that he can see there. He has a good arm, not a great arm. And he's not an overly explosive runner. He looks like a college quarterback. And I don't think it's a very good thing if you're a Carolina Panthers fan that what was the name of the award that goes to the Div 2 quarterback? Uh, it's the Harlan Hill because that was an incredible moment in the game when we're watching Al Michaels say, I was at this Harlan Hill game and he's breaking it down. And I went, that's the best. That was by far the best part of the broadcast. It's just, it's, it's not going to happen. And to know that you gave up DJ Moore and what could be the first pick in this year's draft and another first round pick and all of that, all of those assets to get this guy, it's, th- that's got to be one of the worst things in sports when you, you already know that you've missed on a generational talent like that. And that's to tie it in with the Oilers. That's probably a little bit how their fans are feeling right now because you can't lose to the San Jose Sharks. We all said it. We all knew it. And you can't put too much pressure on one game. But boy, oh, freaking boy, the Sharks... The Sharks. The Sharks. And, and we do. We, we have someone. We, we have a player. More, we're more certain of than any other guy, and equally at least in the NHL, right? In Connor McDavid. And boy, what a, what a travesty, what a shame it would be to be losing a year of his prime and not getting to see him in the playoffs. In the, in the Stanley Cup playoffs, 
not being able to see Connor McDavid, nightmare fuel. Truly. That was, I, I, I hate feeling like it was a must-win game in November, and I know part of that is probably just fan and media concoctions, and I know they're feeling that in, feeling that in, this, in that room. But, oof, seeing Jay Woodcroft have to speak to media yesterday, staying up late thinking, no, there's no way. The Oilers will turn this around. They will turn this around. They were Stanley Cup favorites in Canada this year. And just the dysfunction. It's, it's almost like all the Canadian teams right now are fighting for who can be the most disappointing outside of the Vancouver Canucks who the Leafs get this weekend. And, yeah, um, this is – I'm sorry. This is a big weekend for the Leafs. Uh, it's, it's pretty massive. It's not just the Canadian spotlight that's going to be on them. They only have these two games coming up in Sweden – those two games that they're going to play after these two are two in 12 days. So you go into this thing with a couple of drops, with a sub-500 record, with the way people are talking about the team toughness, the team defense, some of the high-profile signings, the goaltending, all of this stuff. I don't know about you, but if I was on that team, I wouldn't want to be hearing all the stuff everybody else has to say with no opportunity to really change that narrative. Uh, man, speaking of Hall of Famers, Connor McDavid. Got one on the line, Joe Newendijk. How's it going, man? Good. How are you, Jay? I'm doing well, minus you know the state of sports here. That's that's not as good, but uh, we got the Argos. They're playing a playoff game this weekend. That's going to be all right. And we have the Hyundai Hockey Hall of Fame Legends game. Which, by the way, so you're one of the team captains on Team Goal Scores. Uh, my my producer put in that you were the captain of Team Playmakers, and I went, no, no, no. Trust me, this is. He's on the, he's the goal scorers captain. I think that you score over 500, you're the goal scorers captain. But I, this is the first thing that I actually ever covered in my career. And I would suggest that people go to uh, the Hockey Hall of Fame's website. It's www.hhof.com. And if you haven't gotten a ticket yet, Sunday afternoon, you go spend some time down there. I had so much fun the first time that I went to it. There are so many legends that are in the game. It's really cool to see guys like yourself and Adam Oates and, you know, Peter Forsberg is there. Ryan Getzlaff is there. Uh, Jana Hefford is there. Henrik Lundqvist obviously playing this game. Gary Roberts, your buddy. Just a, it's, a, it's a whole lot of games, and it's a whole lot of fun. So, yes, uh, to those that are interested in this, uh, make sure you go check out the website because there are still tickets available. Um, you take these – how serious to take these games? Because I know there's some guys like Rick Vive that want to score a bunch. You, you, in that, you in the Vive category? I don't think I'm in the vibe category at this point, but I am. I am happy that I got my buddy Gary uh, yeah. Roberts on our team because he he still gets a little competitive. I yeah. um, one outdoor game, he was chopping Draper out there. Yeah. So I, he, he has. A, he still got the fire in him. Well, here's the thing. He actually sports are all about stakes, right? He has stakes. If he's not the fittest guy out there, it's a problem for him. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's very true. And uh, even at his age right now, he's still uh, he's still competing with the guys he trains with. So as he should, he, he, he hasn't changed. How often are you back here? Uh, not very often, to be okay. honest with you. I'm actually in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're empty nesters this year, so we've had a beautiful fall here, and uh, uh, going to be heading back to Dallas soon. Uh, when, as soon as we see the first snowflake, but uh, yeah. Uh, looking forward to the weekend in Toronto. I'm really happy for my buddy, Mike Vernon. Um, you know, he was just a great goalie for us all those years in Calgary. So looking forward to seeing him go in the hall of fame. Yeah. It's gotta be a really fun weekend. Um, being a part of all these events, being asked to be yeah, team captain at the legends game, probably getting to reminisce about your own hall induction, getting to see your friends, but yeah, being back in the city, the reason I ask is uh, it, it dawned on me yesterday. It shouldn't have dawned on me because we've brought it up a billion times, but that the Leafs just won their first playoff series since you scored the two against the Leem. Has that set in for you at all? Like, had you thought about that when you came to the city? 
Well, I, I you know, I, 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 I followed it because only because it was brought up every year. Uh-huh. Uh, when are they going to win a series? And, you know, they've had, they've had good dynamic teams the last few years. Uh, uh, I'd like to think they're going to take the next step this year, but we'll see. I mean, it's a long year and, I think Leaf fans in Toronto only care about what happens in uh, come playoff time. So, uh, but you know, there's no doubt they have a, a, another good team that they they could make a run. Hey Joe, they care right now. The teams below 500 to start the season, they they're caring. <laughs> they, they they want some wins right now. This game against uh, your Calgary Flames tonight is actually going to be a big one here in Toronto. They, they, they got to start to put some wins together. They got to start to put, uh, yeah, just a little bit of an identity together. But, you know, I, I was also thinking about you just, you know, you're being here, you're being with Gary Roberts. You had a, such a great season in Toronto. You were an immediate fan favorite. You were an area guy. You came in, you scored over 20 goals. And again, I think for a lot of people my age who are in their 30s, you scored two of the most memorable goals uh, that, that we have. Like that, that uh, a Leaf fan my age, if you go, hey, put up the goals that are yours, put up the goals that you remember, you have them against the Lehman 04. And it seemed like such a slam dunk that you were going to come back. And I, I just, I wonder, I'm sure, like yet another good year in Florida, but is there, do you look back and wish you would have been able to end your career here? Well, it's funny you mentioned that Gary, Gary and I talk about that often. We, yeah. uh, we both had another year left on our deal there in Toronto and of course, there was a work stoppage, but uh, we thought that uh, we thought that they should have brought that team back together. You know, Brian Leach was, uh, you know, he he was excited to be there. We, uh, Mats was a great captain. Uh, we, we just had a really good team that could uh, could do something. And uh, you know, after the work stoppage, they decided to break that up. And and I understand it to a certain point. Uh, you know, the players were getting older, but uh, boy, we, we, we had a good group of guys there and a good feel in that locker room. I thought they should have kept it going for at least another year. What was the sticking point with you guys? Because it was always rumored that it was just, you know, you and Gary wanted to play together and that they would only tender one of you a deal. Yeah, I'm not so sure the ins and outs of all of that. Um, you know, we certainly weren't there breaking the bank for the, the franchise at that point. In our right. We were just happy to be there and, and, and uh, I really enjoyed playing with Matt. I, I, you know, I, it, I was just amazed at uh, how we came together that one year that I did play there. We, you know, because it's not the easiest place to play. We, mm-hmm. we had to, we had to retool some things. Uh, you know, get the newspapers out of the locker room, and and and, and we really bonded together as a team. And and Ty was a big part of that. And mm-hmm. I, I just really felt to this day that they should have kept that uh, group together for at least uh, to take one run at it. Well, yeah, lockout hurt. Lockout really hurt a group like yours. And it's funny that you mentioned Brian Leach because I, I feel, you know, he played so few games here. I think it was only 15 or so, 15 to 20 regular season games because it was right after the deadline. But just yeah. how impactful he was and how much he still had it. And then, of course, he comes back after the lockout and he's not with the Leafs anymore. But, yeah, do you yeah. remember, yeah, what it was like, that deadline bringing him in and just the impact that he had on your group? Oh man, it was uh, it was great. Uh, I, I mean, everybody, every team would like to have a guy like Leachie, and he was still playing at such a high level in his career. But uh, he just kind of slotted everybody so much better on our on our team, and uh, kind of made Thomas Caverly a number two, where Cabby was number one. But uh, mm-hmm. when Leachie came in, uh, he kind of gave that mantle to him. But uh, yeah, that's why you know that's why I was disappointed because I, I I was I was really happy about the way the team was and. Uh, having Leachy there, and 
uh, he, he was a he was a terrific player. He 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 ran the power play. He he just controlled things. So and and the, and the good thing was he was you know after being so many years in New York, uh, he he was just really excited to be with that group. Uh, he enjoyed it in the locker room and. Um, you know, and, and it was too short. You're right, 20 games or whatever it was. I don't even know if it was that many, but uh, mm-hmm. just too short. Yeah, well, I, I think that's probably some of the toughest stuff as a professional athlete, right, is is the feelings of lack of closure with the the, the teams that you can't control, right? Yeah, yeah, and and, and I and as I said before, I, I understand it to a certain point. Uh, yeah, you know, Ronnie Francis retired after that. We brought him in, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, we were getting older. There was no doubt about it. But uh, um, to put that team together, it, it took some maneuvering to get it. Uh, I thought at least they could have given us a one more opportunity to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, not comparing ourselves to the, those old Chicago Bulls teams by any means, but they, they certainly let those guys uh, run their course. And, and we, we didn't really get out of the starting blocks, I, I thought. Yeah, you wanted your last dance. You didn't know that it was the last dance as it was happening, is, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, basically, but I, you know, I, I mean, it seems kind of silly to compare it to uh, the last dance. But, no, no. Uh, Who was your Rodman? <laughs> Who was our Rodman? Well, Ty. Yeah. It had to be Ty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that 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 for that checks out. Uh, okay, I guess uh, last one on. Uh, I, I guess those years you mentioned it that it could be difficult and you had to get the newspapers out of the, out of the dressing room. And I know times have changed where you, you can't get the newspaper out of the dressing room because the newspaper's on everybody's phone, right? And so there, there are some uh, like pretty stark differences from playing when you did in Toronto versus then. But the, the pressure is still the same, right? The building is very similar in terms of right now, the Leafs have been booed in their, on, in their home arena in their last two games. And, and I... What did you find to be the most difficult part of playing here? And I would imagine it's a little different because you had family from the area as well. So maybe your answer is just satiating yeah. people with tickets for every single game. But what what did you find was, yeah, the toughest thing for players who were going through it in this market who maybe weren't as popular as you with dealing with, yeah, the media and fan scrutiny? Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a tough question. I, uh, I, I, I know the media that uh, I, I know the pressure of playing there. Um, you know, it was, certainly was uh, back in when we played there in '04 and, and all those years. But and, and and playing in Toronto is is really not for everybody. There's no doubt about that. And, and a lot of Canadian cities are, are that way. But at, for me, at that point in my career, coming to that team, um, it was it was one of the most enjoyable years of my uh, career. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I really I really enjoyed it. I, I just thought Matt was a terrific captain, and the way he carried himself in that city, and you know, because everybody flocked to Matt. Matt's they wanted mm-hmm. to talk to him, the media, and, and not unlike today with uh, with. Uh, Tavares and, and Austin Matthews, uh, you know, th- th- those guys carry a lot of the weight, uh, Mitch Marner, but it, but you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, it's a challenging place to play that way because the expectations are so high. But uh, from a guy looking back now, I mean, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Uh, you want to feel hockey. I came, I came to uh, after Toronto, we signed in Florida, mm-hmm. and that was uh, that was that was tough going from the hockey hotbed of the of the NHL to a place where it didn't really matter if you won or lost. Uh, to be br- totally brutal, brutally honest, uh, you know the sun was shining, guys go their separate ways to the beach, and no one really cared. 
you feel it in Toronto, you feel it in Calgary that, you know, if you lose, uh, you're going to hear it, but I'm okay with that. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, the, the most meaningful games you would have played in in Florida were when the Leafs were in town and you had all the snowbirds flock in yeah. and you went, all right, yeah, this was yeah, like that right. juice in the building that's again. Right. Uh, and it's still that way. Like Florida makes a cup run and you see the following season, just the, the fan base immediately just kind of tail off. It's it's really hard to build momentum there. And this is why um, I, I always feel this way as a fan and as someone who looks at the team, uh, similarly to the, what you just said, which is I think that it's hard and it's been hard on a lot of the younger guys on this team. But what I think we're seeing a little bit is or what you'll probably see is when some guys end up leaving or the careers are done, they will realize how special it was to play in a place that had this much pressure and that had this much fan interest and this much care because you, you hear that. You hear that answer a lot, Joe, the one that you gave, which is, yeah. hey, I played there and it could be difficult at times, but then I left and, and I missed that pressure and that feeling of, yeah, people are actually invested in this. People actually care about this. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, we, we won that. You, you started the interview by talking about that 04 series against Ottawa. Yeah. I remember winning that, winning that series and driving out of the tunnel there at the, uh, the Air Canada Centre. Mm-hmm. And there were, you, you couldn't even drive your car out of there. Yeah. That's how passionate the fans were uh, after one series win. So, I mean, if you, don't, if you don't feel that, if you don't get goosebumps over that type of stuff, that, that's what you want in your, in your hockey career. Some guys play their entire career and don't get to experience stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, those guys get to do it on a nightly basis. There was, there, was, there was something really special about putting that jersey on every night. And I know it's, it's, it's challenging, um, but, uh, and, and I know they care. Uh, it's, it's just really challenging to, to put the right group of players together that, uh, that can get it done in that city. But uh, I, I, think I, think, I want to think they're close. I mean, they're so talented. Mm-hmm. Yeah, listen, they have a lot of talent on their team. It's just it, the one thing when I was looking back at that 04 roster is just the amount of names that are on it. And the advantage the group had was you could bring in a Brian Leach, right? Because there was no salary cap and how damaging this has been to the league and how damaging it's been for big market teams. And I get it. The league wants to have parity and they, they want to have a lot of the other franchises survive. But yeah, as a, as a fan of one of the teams that I'll just say, yeah, where it matters more, it, it's really, really tough because you build this angst amongst a fan base that really shouldn't be there. And your reward for collecting talented players like Matthews and Marner and Nylander and Tavares and doing really great work to get these guys is that it becomes increasingly difficult to do this around the fringes. And then it puts even more pressure on these other players to actually to, to perform here. And this is the part that I... I feel the worst about as an observer of the team, which is, do I mind that there's pressure? No. Do I think that some guys will appreciate it later in their careers? Yes. But the the players that I empathize with are the ones like, and I remember talking to Ed Belfour about this actually, because when he came to Toronto, he struggled out of the gates, but he was Ed Belfour. So he had a wealth of experience to lean on. He knew who he was. And then eventually he, he performs, right? One of the most memorable parts about that, that series against the senators. But I feel for a guy uh, like you drafted in John Klingberg, who has come here to Toronto, who has stumbled out of the gates, has not had the offense outweigh the defensive struggles. And it is just, it's a snowball and you just, you can't get out from underneath it. And yeah, I guess if you were going to impart something to a player like that or to a, a new member of a team that is starting to deal with that pressure and, and just feels like they can't escape it, what, what would it be? Well, I, I think in the case of Klingberg, I, I think fans, uh, the, the, they didn't get him for his defensive prowess, that's for sure. And mm-hmm. I know that that's 
seems to be a bit of an emphasis in Toronto. But, but I, I you know, when when you're going through that uh, analysis, uh, I started to think about, you know, this really has to have some time. They've made some significant changes, and and a guy like Tyler Bertuzzi, I think. He he went to Boston last year, and he was one of their best players in the playoffs. I know it was only one series, but mm-hmm. but those are the type of players that are going to show their worth down when it uh, really gets crunch time. They, the Marners and the Matthews, they can carry the team all year, but I think you'll see the full effect of some of the guys they brought in when it's actually time to go and, mm-hmm. and, and the time that fans care about. I know it's a struggle right now being below 500, but but those guys are trying to find their way, uh, the the Bertuzzi's, the, the Max Domi, and players like that. But but they will show their true wealth, I think, when when it actually comes time in in the playoffs. But uh, I know you got to get there. But uh, I guess my point is uh, they they've made quite a few changes where it takes a little time to put things together, um, you know. But. Uh, I, I wish them luck. It, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun, but at least they're doing well. Mm-hmm. Did that perspective shift for you, going from being a player to a general manager? Like the how long it takes for a team to coalesce, or how long you, you start to really judge whether or not something's working? Yeah, well, cir- circumstances in Dallas were different at the time. We were under, we were being owned and operated by the league at that yeah, point. Yeah, you, you inherited so something changes, quite bad. Changes, uh, changes weren't uh, happening too well. But, uh, yeah, I, I think every general manager strives to to put together a collection of guys that, that can win when it matters most. And, and the Leafs, have, uh, you know, to their credit, I think I think they've been trying to do that. They, they've they got the guys that carry the mail for them. Uh, offense is not an issue. It's just finding those gritty guys and playing good team defense that I think has been a bit of a challenge. Uh, they've made efforts to, to rectify that. They're, they're not there yet, but uh, you know it's a long year, and, and uh, they they certainly have the talent to go make deep runs. So they just got to figure out other parts of their game, and, and I think they're trying to do that with some of the players they brought in. So I'll let you go on this one because again, you you were a GM, and and you did inherit extraordinarily difficult circumstances in Dallas. But how how difficult is it in that role when a signing you make? is not performing up to par, but there seems to be a misalignment with the way that player is being used by the coaching staff. Uh, I'm, I'm curious how you think that communication between a front office and a coaching staff is, is most effective in a situation like that. Yeah, well, I think everybody has to be on the, the same page, and, and, and it's not always the case here, right? Sometimes the GM makes a brings in a shiny new toy and then the coach doesn't want to do it. And then that, that, that creates a, a, a little bit of a rift. But uh, yeah, I, I think if you're, if you're the GM and you have the vision and you have meetings with the coach, uh, there, there has to be a, you know, a plan and, and, and the players have to be put in the roles that they need to be put in in order to be successful. I, I think maybe that's a little bit of what takes time. Uh, maybe look, this conversation might be, might be different 20 or 30 games into the year where everybody kind of understands where they fit on the team, what they're supposed to do. Uh, you know, everybody gets slotted properly. And, and I think early in the season, a lot of teams struggle with that. Uh, I, I really don't know what's going on at Edmonton because they should be, they should be up and running uh, a little better than they are, but uh, you know, it's not, they're not alone in Calgary. Some of the Canadian teams are having a tough go right now. Yeah. It's uh it's not good for here. The home of hockey in Canada where we're like, Hey, 
We need you guys to get going. We don't want to have another year of Florida Panthers going to Stanley Cup playoffs or the finals, please. Uh, right. Let's let's figure this out. Uh, again, tickets are still right. available for the Hyundai Hockey Hall of Fame Legends Classic. Again, Joe Newendike, captain of team goal scorers, Adam Oates, captain of team playmakers. You can go to the Hockey Hall of Fame's website uh, to learn more. You can grab the tickets there. Again, highly recommend. Easy, easy ticket for anybody with a family, anybody that's just interested in seeing uh, a ton of legends. Like, yeah, you, you see on the website, there's just an, a, an inordinate amount of names playing in this thing. Uh, Joe, thanks so much for the time today. I appreciate it. Good luck in the game and enjoy the weekend. All right. Thanks. Looking forward to it. I appreciate it. Take care. Uh, Joe Noondike, Hockey Hall of Famer. And of course, owner of two of the greatest goals in my lifetime. I can't say, I won't say Leafs history because they used to win Stanley Cups. But in the modern day era, you can put those up against anything. Anyways, quick break. Let's come back. Let's talk to Jackie Redmond. <laughs> uh, really like new guy Drew. Uh, his Twitter is electric. It's just him retweeting NFL.com or the, the ad NFL page. He's reposted Falcons named Taylor Haneke starting QB Sunday versus the Vikings. And you were like, nice repost this retweet. <laughs> just going through. Uh, yeah. Washington today. We are getting trust the process. Yes. Bang. Retweet. True. That's the best Twitter account ever. Uh, I, I got to see. I can't wait to see what you retweet next. NFL rookie watch. You were on that one too. This is a lot of football in here, dude. It's all, it's all football. I was going to say, all I, do. I know you're a football guy. You got the Bama shirt. What position did you play in football? Uh, I, I played a lot. I played like quarterback, wide receiver. They, Ooh, they threw right. me everywhere. Oh, well, we had a bad okay. team though. We yeah. didn't have a lot of kids. That's oh, why. so you were from one of those like small schools that had a football team, but you were one of the studs on the team. And so Ex- they went, yeah, exactly. we got to play you everywhere. Yeah, yeah exactly. I got it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you kind of, you kind of casually dropped the other day. We're all sitting around shooting it. And Drew's just like, yeah, I was at a camp, uh, top 100 select camp. Uh, me and Nathan Rourke, he kind of ran the camp, but you were probably like, I was a co-pilot. You didn't I, say that, but it had a little bit of that tone. I, like, it was a cool experience to, yeah. to be with him, at least. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, see, you go into PR mode like I'm interviewing you. Oh, it was a great experience to be around Nathan. Uh, I'm going to go retweet uh, the Jaguars post about... <laughs> whether or not he's going to be the third string quarterback this week. Uh, good stuff, Drew. Uh, Jackie Redman, uh, my friend and yours for her uh, bi-weekly hit. What's up, Jackie? How are we doing? What's up? I'm awesome. Excited to be on with you, actually. Yeah, you're, you, do you, uh, my first question is, do you think you're Taylor Swift? Because I saw your post where you were like, three <laughs> countries, six cities, ten days. I was like, all right, relax. <laughs> Wait, that's a lot. Have you ever had a stretch No, like God, I no. Mean, I'm, I'm not you. I, well, I, I'm not Taylor Swift, but yeah, I but feel you, like that was a little shade from you being like, no. oh, look at you. Yeah, it was. Posting about how you've been all over the place. It was like more. You're starting this off with a little shade, huh? That's yeah, how it you was. Want this to go? It was. I just, I saw, well, you were, you were late responding to my text. So I, yeah, I've, I, I'm feeling a little adversarial today, but yeah, I just saw it and I was like, and, and it was the way that it was shot. It was like someone filming you from behind and you were just like moving forward and then it's just like three countries, six cities, ten days, and I'm like, all right, she's going on tour. <laughs> she's announcing her okay, tour. You know what? I kind of like 
you're making me feel like I kind of nailed the vibe that you I did. was going for. You did. You nailed it. You <laughs> did. Take this as a compliment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's been a crazy stretch, and I feel like I kind of was on a world tour. Like yeah. I was in Saudi Arabia, I was in Edmonton of all places, but for the for the Heritage Classic, and I've just been all over. Twelve planes in I think ten days or twelve flights in ten days. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's been awesome. And now I'm in Florida. So the reason mm-hmm. that I I was late to your text yesterday is because after my crazy uh version of my own eras tour i guess i decided yeah. to just go ride roller coasters all day yesterday and not think about anything just i hate roller my coasters. brain around a little bit you know you like roller what? coasters you, i can't believe you hate them i hate them so much i i i'm done i'm Why? because i don't like feeling sick the whole time i I don't like amusement parks. I don't like feeling like I don't understand people who want the feeling of I could die and then they they who not going to die. Okay, great. I'm good. I I hate roller coasters. I've said this a million times that every picture of me on a roller coaster is just white knuckling whatever you can hold on to with my eyes sealed shut. And then they go, do you want to pay $40 for this photo? And I'm like, no, it's embarrassing. Please delete this from whatever hard drive that you're keeping this on. And, and I refuse to not do the rides. I have to go and do the rides because you pay so much money to be there. And I'm, I can't just openly admit that I'm a coward. So now I just don't go. Like even the worst thing is <laughs> this year at the, I think it was this year or last year at the CNE, the Polar Express, there was an accident. This is screwed up and it, it crashed somehow. I don't know. It's just, it goes in a circle and it goes a little fast. The Polar Express was my ride. That was the one thing I had. I had the Polar Express <laughs> and then it got in an accident and now that's done for me too. So I'm just officially retired from all rides. I'll never do another one again. Oh, that surprises me about you. I no. almost look at you a little bit different now. I you would should. have pegged you as a guy that loves that loves theme parks. But no, I I love roller coasters. They do scare me, but once they start, I just think that they're so fun. Like I Ugh. am the type of person a lot of times on roller coasters, once I get over that first drop, like the lead up to Ugh. the first drop, it's full anxiety. Why did I do this? Yeah. Why am I sitting at the front of the roller coaster? Like what what was it what brought me to this decision? But once you do the first drop, like I am the type of person I just laugh the whole time on a roller coaster. Like I don't know why they make me laugh once they get going. Anyways, um, so my pictures aren't that embarrassing. It's just me laughing. Yeah, that's good. Good. Yeah. Congratulations to you. Congratulations to all people that enjoy <laughs> them. I'm getting the mouth sweats just thinking about that. The the lead up, the slow like click 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 as you're just going up. I will. Oh yeah, the clicks are bad. Ugh. The clicks are I, those are anxiety inducing. I will say I saw a video on TikTok of like a drop zone type ride no. that just like dropped and like just just legitimately just hit the ground. And yeah. so I did avoid the drop zone ride um, at Bush Gardens yesterday oh, because I, I was like, mm, I feel like that's too close. I can't, I've I've seen too much damage done from this type of ride, so I'm I did done. not do that one. They they need to only. they need to have I let's say. 20 years, no accidents on any worldwide, and I will return. <laughs> that's, that's my problem. <laughs> Do you know how mad I would be at myself if that's how I went? If, if, or if it got stuck, I would never forgive myself. There would be no one else to blame. I would say to myself, you knew. You knew you hated this, and you did it anyway out of pride. And now you're stuck upside down, blood rushing to your head, waiting for some carny <laughs> and a firefighter to ha- combine forces to help you out of this. I just, I refuse. I refuse. I will never do it again. And I, I've said this, and I'll continue to say it. We should, we need to end the stigma against people like me, against people who are afraid of roller coasters. We should be proud 
Uh, you know, it's 2023. We should be able to say these things without fear of reprisal. And I, I would like to continue to lead this charge. You don't like roller coasters? Feel no shame. Stand up for yourself. Go have some funnel cake and go shoot a basketball on one of those rig nets and just enjoy enjoy your day <laughs> at the fair or whatever. The problem is, is those things are so expensive now that you can't even just re- relax and enjoy the rest of the yeah the rest of the fair, the rest of the theme park. Okay, so you did you did uh, two countries, six cities, ten days. Um, Three countries. Sorry, what I say? Two. Oh yeah, sorry. Tried to shortchange you on that. <laughs> Get it right. We always we do like to start. Speaking of roller coasters, though, should we should we talk leash or? Sure. What's your okay? So the, the floor is yours. These segments are yours. What is the what is the Toronto thought that you have? You know, it's so funny, and I'm sure that you do this too because you you work in talk radio, so you probably do this more than I do. I always try to come up with this, like, brilliant, groundbreaking question or topic all the time. I gave up on that. But I think the question question for the Leafs is so simple right now. The only question to me that matters is, are the Leafs better than this, or are they actually this bad? Mm. Because the answer to that question determines everything that the Leafs either need to do or not do in the next I don't know, four to six weeks. Like if they are this bad, if you believe that the Leafs are just, this is who they are, they're bad, they're not going to, you know, get things on track and figure it out, then they need to do something like yesterday. And I kind of think that they are this bad. Like the numbers are awful. The one thing, and you know this, because you and I talk all the time, not just, you know, on the radio about this team, like the one thing that Sheldon Keith had, and I've been critical of him at times of whether he, or not he should still be the coach. The one thing he had was that defensively as a team, they're pretty good. People didn't like to talk about it. And everyone likes to say that they're a bad defensive team reputationally, but he's had quite a few seasons where their numbers as a team on the whole defensively have been good and now those are completely out the window and I don't know that it's Sheldon Keefe's fault necessarily but it's the fact those are the facts 13 games in and I don't think it's too early to be worried if you think the Leafs are actually this bad because yeah they're going to make the playoffs but they're not a team that's just supposed to make the playoffs they're supposed to contend for a Stanley Cup and right now they're not just having a bad start. They're one of the worst teams in the league in that category of defense. So, and, and keeping the puck out of their net. So I don't know. Do you think that the Leafs are better than this? That's my question for you. They've given up 34 goals in seven home games. Um, their yeah. penalty kill is a disaster. Their four plus million dollar defenseman has been worse than advertised defensively. They've already got injuries on the blue line. Their defensive center that they gave a significant extension to David Kampf is down on the fourth line, stapled to arguably the worst defensive player in the NHL and Ryan Reeves. Um, and they're, they're not really getting much from camp anyways. Like they, they're, they're finding trouble finding him minutes and he doesn't, he doesn't appear to be the same guy. Um, yeah, it's the defensively. I'm having a tough time seeing a silver lining outside of regression to the mean. And my strong belief that the NHL is just so flat there is no there. There's like a handful of special teams, right? I think Vegas is really great. I think Boston is really yeah. good and has their identity down pat yet again. Outside of that, like Vancouver, who's been spectacular, and I don't want to take away credit for them, but yeah, they've got this incredibly high PDO right now, and I think that they're going to come down to earth a little bit. You're seeing it with Edmonton. Just I saw it last night. I I tuned in because it was a slow sports night. I watched a little bit of uh, the Avalanche Kraken game, and it was. Just you know, Avalanche suck. They, I know they, their record is good. I think they're like eight and five, but they're not. They don't look special so far. Everybody just looks flat. I don't know if it's like seasonal depression. Everybody's getting hit with November at the same time, but 
a lot of the product just looks very mediocre and disengaging to me. And so to me, I've been saying it forever and ever and ever, and I'll continue to say it, how stupid the salary cap is and the current construction of it and having year over year of flat cap and thinking that the league was just going to get away with this fine and trying to celebrate skill and saying, look at all of our skill. We have all so much skill. And then you can't support the most skilled players in the league with talented players around them. Like you're going to have a situation where McDavid likely misses the playoffs this year because the team stinks because they make one bad goaltender signing and they're just screwed. They, they can't get around that. Um, but I do think that the Leafs will be regular season fine. Let's put it that way. I, I don't think that they're going to miss the playoffs. The, the question is what you said, which is, hey, this team was supposed to be built heavier. They were supposed to be tougher to play against. The goaltending was supposed to be at least solid. And you were supposed to have a real optimism about uh, a team that looked more playoff ready. And the trouble so far is that they, they look like they've taken a significant step back from that last year. And oh, that's a little worrying. They are, they are objectively a worse team yeah. right now than they were last year. It's, it's, to me, it is, it's undebatable. I don't even want to hear, oh, it's early, it's early. You know, they are mm-hmm. objectively worse than they have been in the last, I don't know, four seasons. And even last year when they were an awesome team, they were a good regular season team, even the year before that, you know, they still, we could still not prove the theory that, you know, putting most of your salary cap into four star players who all play forward, by the way, is enough to win a Stanley cup like that. Are we, are we now at the point where we can say that that doesn't work? Like it's very clear to me that that's not going to work. And the sad part is Austin Matthews could put up 70 goals this year and William Nylander could have a career year and, you know, get all the money that he, you know, that he wants and and believes and probably does deserve. Um, And it might not even matter. Like it doesn't, I don't think it matters. All that matters is if the Leafs can find a way to fill out the rest of the roster. You mentioned Vancouver, you mentioned Boston, you mentioned Vegas. You know what they have? They have three of the goalies with the three goalies with top five save percentages in the NHL right now. Mm-hmm. Even Aiden Hill is up there. It's like 925 or 930 or something. So like the Leafs, they need, they need better goaltending. Their, their blue line is, is, I don't even know what to call it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm worried. I'm I am not feeling good about this team on the from a big picture from a big picture level. Yeah, I think the reason all. the reason why it's more valid to feel that way compared to years past is it just feels like there's a lot more that has to change than with other iterations of the team. Like even going back to last year, right at the very beginning when they struggled out of the gates and they were losing games and. There was all the discussion about whether Keefe was going to be fired and whether he was at odds with Mitch Marner and the apologies he had to make apparently to the team for calling them out correctly, which was still baffling Mm -hmm. to me. It didn't feel like it was 25. That's when I was out, by the way. That's that's when you were Mm -hmm. out on Keefe? Yeah. Yeah. Not on him necessarily, but on on him and the team, you know, having the right relationship to get Mm -hmm. it done together. Like, I think there are good things about Sheldon Keith, mm-hmm. but I also think that there have been numerous examples that maybe he's not the guy to get them to the top of the mountain. Yes, he's had great regular seasons, which everyone likes to bring up his regular season record and all the credit in the world to him for that record. You, you know, your record, you are what your record says you are, I guess. But there was also a year there where they played in the all-Canadian division where goaltending and defense was optional, and they didn't even play the entire league. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's, it's kind of flawed when you put that record into context, in my opinion. I agree. I just think 
that, you know, Dubis was the one thing and we now know for sure that was not the issue last year. Those negotiating tactics are, are a completely different conversation in terms of how it went down with him. But to me, it's like the team needed to make a big change a year ago, not this offseason, the one before, after they lost to Tampa in the first round. And it was either trade one of your core players or fire your head coach. Those were one of the two things that I believe needed to happen. And I believe it more today than I have ever believed it before. Yeah. That that was a mistake. Yeah. And I, I can't really push too hard against it. Cause I thought Keith should have been gone last off season. I don't really think that, yeah, I don't believe he's the guy either. I think he can be a good coach, but that he could have run but his course here. I don't here. think he's a problem right now. Right. That's the, I, that's where I was fair. going with this is that it's just like, as of this moment, it's the same thing in Edmonton where everyone's calling for Jay Woodcroft's job. And I go, yeah, all right. I'm not following that team as closely, but it, it feels like a real temporary solution to a lot of other problems. And that's just the way I feel about the Leafs yeah. right now is when I'm looking at them, I don't feel as though this is a team that is leaving a ton of points on the table because of their coach. I, I don't. I think that they've had, I do agree with that. They've had some signings that have had basically zero or negative impact to the team so far this season. Max Domi has been minimal. Tyler Bertuzzi has been way underwhelming for what they thought they were going to be getting from him. The camp signing, like I mentioned, has been a disaster. Reeves is completely unplayable. Klingberg is also unplayable. I, I, I'm not sure Klingberg's going to play tonight. And I, if, I think if it we're talking about merit, then he absolutely shouldn't. Their two goaltenders have been completely up and down, and Wool had his first bad game, but neither of them has been consistently spectacular. They just look like all right, average, whatever goaltenders. Their stars have been incredible. But yeah, it's just like you go through the, the lineup and you look at all the issues that the Leafs have had so far this season. And for when people go fire Keith, fire Keith, I'm like, okay, fine. Yeah. That's a fine opinion to have. And if you're a truly fan, you've probably talked about firing a coach of every single team, <laughs> what, once a month, every single month. <laughs> but it's just, it's way lower on the docket for me right now. It's like, yeah, figure out some of the other stuff before you start doing that. Because I just, I don't think that that's going to actually have a real impact on anything. And that's, that's exactly why earlier I, I made a point to say, like, the one thing that you have to give Sheldon Keefe credit for on previous iterations of this team is that they've actually been structurally a pretty good defensive team. And anyone that doesn't watch the team closely, like, non-Leaf fans will be like, oh, you're crazy, that's not true. But go look at the numbers from previous years in terms of goals against and all, all the metrics, the penalty kill, everything. has been way better under Keefe in previous seasons, and it's because he had different personnel. So, I mean, I'm happy for Justin Hall, though, because I feel like people are, are starting to acknowledge the little things that he, that he did for this team. It's, uh, so I saw a quote from him the other day where he, he mentioned that he sees more Toronto media now that he's out of it <laughs> and how much there is. Wow. Um, and, uh, <laughs> he's, he's, he's taken a couple of little things, little shots. I think he's been a healthy scratch in two of the games, though, too, so... Just that's, that's how, but, but that's, that's almost the point of how bad this blue line is, is that they're missing a guy who's being healthy scratched on a team that has seven solid (laughs) defensemen and that here people are going, Oh my God, could you imagine if we had that guy, the Red Wings seventh defenseman? You know, I'm sorry. I'm getting so worked up that I'm just like yelling and interrupting Fine. It's your segment. This is your point. Which I guess is is kosher for our for our friendship i guess but you know, that's the whole thing about this is like again it's all about what what the goal is and it's like people are like oh they'll be fine they're gonna make the playoffs I'm like yeah but that's not to me that's not what i want from this team it's not what i want from the austin matthews era we want to see a 34 lift a stanley cup in toronto not somewhere else 
in Toronto. And so you look at teams that have done it and can you think of a team in the last, you know, I don't know, five to eight years that has done it without uh, either a top tier bonafide, like all time goalie or top goalie in the NHL or, you know, last year, Aiden Hill, who was, went on an insane stretch and maybe he's the real deal because he started this season looking pretty good um, as well. And then on top of that had, you know, a top tier defenseman, right? Like one of the better defensemen in the NHL consistently. Mm-hmm. Tampa had that. Vegas had that. Colorado certainly had that. Um, and then even though they have star players in Colorado and Tampa and Vegas at the forward position, they still needed depth players to come through. Tampa still needed the Blake Coleman, Yanni Gord, Barclay Gaudreau line to be the talk of their run to win. So anyone that thinks that the Leafs are going to win a Stanley Cup because Austin Matthews is scoring a lot of goals and William Nylander looks awesome is out to lunch. It doesn't matter. And that's sad. That makes me sad. <laughs> that makes me sad. <laughs> it's the way to end the rant. Yeah. Uh, here's my optimism spin on it is I think oh, that. Please. Yeah. You're, so I think there's a couple things. One, when they get to the postseason, the hope is that guys like Bertuzzi, they, you really see why they matter more, right? That it just clicks for them. Mm-hmm. That the experience of the group and the the level of play that you're seeing from Matthews, Marner, and Nylander one of the big issues is that those guys have gone away in some of those big games. And yes, secondary scoring has been a problem, but it's also been the stretches that Marner has gone without points or goals and Matthews has gone without goals, mm-hmm. right? And so they, they Nylander too, who's been their playoff performer, all the, he and Matthews really look like they've taken a step and Tavares doesn't look like he's taken a step back. They did win a round last year. There's at least some type of experience now that they can look back on and say, hey, we, we were able to win something. And yes, the heavier guy in Bertuzzi, he probably shows up a little later in the year. A guy like David Camp, he probably is a little bit more value to them later in a playoff series where they can use him in a shutdown role. Um, their blue line right now, it's pretty much uh, a, a massive disaster. I thought it was going to be a good regular season blue line, but they have been beat up. They're missing three guys. I never thought that I would be throwing Connor Timmins' name in the mix, but based on the way Klingberg has played, then you, you have to include him yeah. in that. Um, if you're going into a deadline, at least you have the Klingberg salary to move out to try to bring in another piece, another real defenseman. And that given where the window is and where Shanahan probably feels they need to be, they, they'll probably be very, very aggressive in trying to address that, that top four defenseman, the, the one that the city has been craving forever and ever and ever. And then lastly, it's just... Yeah, there's a couple of guys on the team that if you just remove them from the equation, it does feel like it's it's going to get better. I don't know. It's it's really hard for me to stand here and or sit here. I'm not standing. I'm sitting. I'm definitely sitting. Uh, for me to sit here and say they, they look like a Stanley Cup contender, but I, I do... <sighs> I don't think it's as bad as everybody thinks it is right now. Although I'll do Leafs talk tonight. And if they lose to Calgary, I've called it a must win game. I'm going to destroy them. So I'm not going to be, I'll change my opinion. I reserve the right to change my opinion on this. Swing real quick on you, JD. Yeah, they can. And, and I get the pent up frustration of people here and I feel it too. But yeah, I just, I, I think that there are, there, there are a few signs that this thing can turn around the track record of the group in the regular season, most specifically. Yeah. I, I think that, that what you're talking about, though, the pressure of this team is supposed to win a Stanley Cup weighing on every single regular season game, that that always makes me a little nervous. And, and that's just really tough context to always be talking about the team with or through the lens that we always talk about the team through. 
And yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting to that point where I go, God, all right. Yeah. They're just never going to win. <laughs> it's fine. Fine. Let's just I, all agree. I mean, I don't know if they're never going to yeah. win, but I just think like, yeah, will will things get better? I believe mm-hmm. that they will, but how much better do they need to get for the Leafs to actually contend for a Stanley cup? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they're going to get that much better. I think they'll get better. A lot. I don't think they'll get that much better. Not yeah. without, not without roster changes. And then on top of it, not to go back to Keith and let's just end this year. There's also something to be said about the way that your new players are managed, the way that your players that are struggling are managed and the decisions you make about how to promote or demote or, you know, dole out punishment when the whole team's not playing well. Like there are these, these, these smaller decisions that I think are very impactful. I mean, sports, there's so much psychology to it and confidence comes so into play for guys that are on prove-it deals or they're trying to fit into a new team and live up to the expectations that everyone um, has when they go to Toronto, no matter who they are or if they deserve those expectations. So, like, his role is very important in how he manages the confidence levels of his group because there's a lot of things not going well. And so the way that he handles his players psychologically is very important. I agree. If you penalize the wrong player at the wrong time, you lose them. And Mm -hmm. now you're worse. Like you, Sheldon Keith needs Bertuzzi and Domi and even Klingberg to believe that he is with them and that he believes in them and that he's going to actually give them an opportunity to, to find their place. Yeah. I so. see that that's my biggest criticism of Keith so far, because like, there's only so many systems you can play in hockey, right? This is not a strategically, this is not a football coach, right? This isn't like, well, why isn't he getting these? The play calling isn't great. It's like, no, no, no. Chill out on that. The part that bothers yeah. me, and I was thinking about this uh, as you were speaking, how when Sheldon Keefe came in, he had Tyson Berry, who people were complaining wasn't getting power play time and wasn't getting offensive opportunities, and it was Babcock that was just burying him and not giving him an opportunity yeah. to succeed. And Klingberg's been bad, really, really, really bad. But what did Keefe do the other day? Took yeah. him off the power play. It's like you're literally becoming yeah, you're literally becoming the guy that you replaced. What did the guy do before you? He punished good players and buried them lower on lines to try to get them motivated, like has been done with Bertuzzi this season. And yeah, I think you ended up losing some players that way. And so I just think this is a guy who's running out of moves. He's running out of ways to motivate these guys tactically. And probably the thing That's that... That's a good way to say it. Yeah, the, 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 I think one of the problems with him or for him too is he seems to be someone who wears his displeasure outwardly, that he has a really tough time hiding it or playing the it's okay game, right, with guys. And mm-hmm. so I think if, if Sheldon keeps pissed at you or he's not happy with your play, it's probably next near impossible for him to hide it from you. So, yeah, uh, I think that probably wears on guys too. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a whole confluence of things. Yo, we got to go. Uh, this was fun. Next time we will have more oh, time wow. after, you know, six cities or, yeah, sorry, whatever next time is, two countries. <laughs> Eight cities, four wow, days. Wow, we only got leashed in today. That's yeah, wild. Well, I got in roller coasters too. We got in roller coasters too. Uh, so that that, that uh, counted yeah, as your yeah, travel topic true. of the day. That counted as that one. Uh, Jackie Redmond, thanks okay, for making time. I'm, I'm, no, thanks for having me. I'm going out on this because it was the take I needed to unload. Uh-huh. I don't know why people are acting like Quinn Hughes hasn't already been in the conversation of top defenders. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. <laughs> He's already been there. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, I, bye. Like they threw that in there. All right, quick break. Let's come back. Um, Jason Buchla wrote a really good piece up on sportsnet.ca about evaluating the Leafs through their first 10 
games. That's those segments he uses, but really he was 12. I'm going to ask him what he wants to see from them over their next 10. Says some really good work on the website lately, but I particularly enjoyed our next guest piece, looking at what the Maple Leafs are and aren't after 12 games. Uh, it's former director of amateur scouting for the Florida Panthers and current analyst for sports at Jason Buchla. What's up, brother? How are we doing? Doing fantastic. Good morning. Good I dig morning. the tunes and the lead in there. I like the I like the vibe for a Friday. Yeah. I know good. that was good. That was good. It was actually a little too chill for me, to be honest. It was a little chill. Maybe a little relaxed. And I like to <laughs> like to be. A, I like to have a little edge. You know, I gotta do the. Gotta be a radio podcast guy. I gotta have an edge, edgy takes. Uh, okay, so you know, I was just thinking during the break um, because I, I talked to my friend Jackie Redman. We had Joe Newendike on the show today. It's loaded. I'm I'm bad with timing. And we've got four guests today, so uh, this is a real challenge for me. But how, okay, the Leafs are clearly struggling defensively. I do want to get into your article. But some of it is just, you, you got to blame the players, you got to blame the players. But she was mentioning about, hey, this was an offseason where we had a lot of questions about the coaching. The fan base has a lot of questions about the coaching. And how much to you right now what you're seeing is a failure of getting guys to buy in, a failure of structure. Like how much of Toronto's just horrific start defensively do you place on the coaching staff's doorstep? Interesting take. Um, I'm not, you know what, I, I, I don't think that the, the group snuck up on anybody. I don't think that the, the style of the coach snuck up on anybody. It wasn't like we added, you know, um, a massive number of new bodies. So I'm actually not buying that stock as much. I'm, I'm, I'm to the, the point, J.D., that, that, that we have to be – so. Coming off last season, there's change in the league every year. I mean, the Anaheim Ducks were absolutely putrid defensively last year. We all know that. They make a coaching change. They knew what the expectation was when when Cronin took over, and look at how they're playing now. It's probably not sustainable, but you get my drift, right? Mm -hmm. Like, they were ready to play a certain style. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the... The Klingberg addition, you know, taking him off the first power play unit, that's that's an easy thing to adapt to. I think that that was going to provide Riley some more minutes at even strength to potentially, um, you know, match up in some harder situations without being completely exhausted, if you will, long term. Um, injuries on the back end have not helped. You know, Timmons had a great uh, training camp, really good training camp before going down with injury. The guy just can't seem to stay healthy, can't get a break. But um, it is what it is, and, and, and they should have been better prepared. This is These are professional athletes that uh, there hasn't been that amount of change that you can say, I didn't think the coach wanted me, me to play this way or that way. Now, having said all that, mm-hmm. if they're not buying in, and I'm having the same conversation with you 10 days from now or something like that, we got a real problem on our hands. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's start to go through the piece. Because, um, yeah, you, you outlined a lot of the issues that you're seeing with the team right now. Uh, let's, let's start with this. What do you view then as the most concerning part of the, the team right now? Well, the, the, the back end is, is a monstrous concern, monstrous concern. I mean, obviously injuries happen, um, but let's just project into the future here. Um, like Timothy Lilligren has a high ankle sprain, which sometimes is worse than, uh, way worse than a break. Like sometimes guys, they might not be right the rest of the year. So that's a huge concern for me. Um, you know, uh, Klingberg's been nothing short of, um, you know, 
disastrous uh, defensively. There's a lot of holes on, on the back end. But I, I will say this, too, that their depth players, like I noticed some things the other night that were really concerning, like even David Camp, you know, um, skating right through lanes, coverage lanes on the back check, exposing, you know, the you know that one shift where Klingberg blew a tire and then all well, hell kind of broke loose for a little while there? Well, the puck ends up behind the net, and Camp overskates his uh, his check altogether. So I just find that their focus, their detail from their red line to their goal line, and then, of course, they haven't got, uh, depending on the night, they haven't been getting the timely saves that they need consistently yet. Um, so everything from the back end uh, is, is a massive concern, and the structure is not playoff worthy. And, and I know we're only in November, but... Um, some uh, we're leaking oil on a lot of fronts there, pal. Yeah, and I think you know to the November point, it's it's easier for me to criticize a team that is supposed to be a contender early on and say, all right, like you you break it down in the ten game segments is what you've you know you stated in the piece and you use twelve as a sample, but yeah, it's like American Thanksgiving is right around the corner and we've had so much experience with the core players of this team and a lot of pieces of this team and what they're supposed to be and what we've kind of been told they're supposed to look like and what we know they want to look like. And it just looks so far removed from that that I think that it's all right to make some of these judgments a little bit more than, yeah, a team that is truly just trying to find itself or that does have more of those changes that you're talking about or has less vets than a team like the Leafs has. So the the one thing that I, you know, you outline in here is the Leafs' lack of secondary scoring, especially compared to, you know, the, the Vegas Golden Knights and the Canucks who have started red hot is that concern maybe a little smaller to you given what you've seen the new machinations of the lines maybe getting more from nyes bertuzzi finding maybe a bit more of his game domi moving to center or or is that something that you're still viewing as a major red flag it's planed out a little bit better this week and I, you know we'll build this out over the next segment if you will um but what ends up happening is that uh, you know, I identify it as an issue, and it still is an issue until they until they tell me differently, and that's why you do it in segments. You don't get too high, too low. You do it in segments. Um, but until they tell me through this segment that you know they resolve part of that, um, you know, it's it's to be determined. But here's the thing: the defensive liability that the group has become trumps anything else. So, like, it's almost like you know you can't build a house. Um, you know, all all in one day, you kind of kind of put it back together again. And defensively, it stands out so uh, aggressively that I can't even get to the secondary scoring until I, I see a result somewhere else. So, um, yeah, the secondary scoring is definitely a problem. Um, you know, I don't think that this team. I can't put my finger on on how this team identifies as a group. I know that they've got high end talent that can score goals, but you know when you see a contending team like when when LA came in here a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. I was really impressed. Like holy, heavy, hard, uh, you know, defined. You knew exactly what was going to roll over the boards every shift. Whereas the Leafs are, you know, they're scattered at this point in time. We know they can score, but the rest of it is undefined. Well, that, I loved that part of your piece, right? When you talked about the identity of the group. Because we were told all off season from quote after quote after quote, snot, different room, tougher to play against, uh, whatever adjective, whatever high, whatever way that they wanted to describe this team, it was supposed to feel like they had a different attitude. And, and so far, we're really not seeing that part. And I, I, I'm telling myself, okay, maybe that's something that will show up a little bit more in the playoffs, right? Like a, a, Tyler, a, a Tyler Bertuzzi, you really notice in a playoff series. And that's how it was with Boston a bit more last year, right? Is he was there arguably their best player in the postseason. He struggled a little bit when he first showed up to Boston. So maybe I'm putting it that way, but 
yeah, where are you at just with not seeing that up to any kind of level that we expected or were told to expect during the off season? Yeah. So almost to a number, like statistically, you know, I, I'm, I'm not one of I'm kind of an old school, new school guy, right? Like I do take the numbers into account, but I've been doing it for so long that, you know, my naked eye tells me, you know, my boots on the ground history tells me something. And, um, their 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 physicality and the way they play the game between the whistles physically hasn't changed a lick. It's the almost exact same number of hits per game, blocks, all that kind of stuff. Everything's the same. And keep in mind that that's with an uptick in players like Austin Matthews is doling out more hits and blocking more shots than mm-hmm. he ever has. So like when your best player has seen an uptick, now that secondary layer that we talked about bringing in Bertuzzi, Domi, yeah, they might do. They both actually had really good playoffs last year. They really did, you know. So when we get there, let's hope that this, you know, happens. But um, you know, the Reeves thing at the bottom of the lineup, like what were we down to the other night? Four minutes or something like that. Like mm-hmm. it was, um, you know, uh, it, it just. Um, you're going to see a team tonight's going to be interesting, obviously, but we're also going to see a team in Vancouver that's tracking up and down the ice. And Sam Lafferty is playing excellent hockey for the Vancouver Canucks, playing quick, playing the middle, playing the wing, tracking 200 feet, playing physical, doing all those things. And to me, that's uh, an identity issue at the bottom of the Leafs lineup because the rest hasn't changed enough. Well, yeah, they're supposed to be tougher. They're supposed to have more secondary goal scoring from the bottom six and neither has shown up. (laughs) So, yeah, uh, I think that's probably not great. I I don't know. It just doesn't doesn't seem, and and I know you pointed out in the piece that you think McMahon should end up on that fourth line. And at this point, it, it feels like an eventuality that, what we're we're looking at maybe Ryan Reeves through the Sweden trip and then after that it it just it feels like he's going to get waived. It feels like something has to give, doesn't it? Because the money doesn't fit. You can't just call a guy up. Ideally, you'd like to have him as a situational player, mm-hmm. um, you know, an in and out guy. Uh, you know, similar to like when when we had uh, Belak here years ago, and then I was in Nashville as well, uh, and then we brought Wade in there, and it was kind of the same thing. Trotsy had him in and out depending on the scenario. That's what Reeves is. Um, he can't he can't track every single night. Like imagine you're on the road, you're playing in Vegas, it's playoff time, mm-hmm. and um, the opponent sees Ryan Reeves roll over the boards and they have last change. Like no disrespect to the player. Let's just be realistic here. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not, you know, I'm, now you're playing with four and a half guys, right? Mm-hmm. So it's uh it's a tough one guy. It's, I'd like to see them play quicker, faster, more detailed at the bottom of the lineup and uh, get back to playing with the details. So I will say this though, like uh, the amount of uh, pushback I got at bat on this piece at the beginning of the week was alarming because it's typical right in this market. We're so passionate when we come off like a really good comeback, which is a character win. people tend to, to it masks our deficiencies. So I'm trying not to get too high, too low. I'd like to circle back with you after the next segment. Let's see where we're at, but um, you know, we got to pull this together. Yeah, we will. Well, that's my next question is what's the most important thing you need to see over the next 10 well, the goals against has got to come down astronomically. And I mean, if that sacrifices some offense, so be it. But our commitment to detail on the defensive side, I mean, it has got to, if it means we're going to chip more pucks instead of skating them, moving them, we're going to, we're going to skate on them. We're going to get them deeper in the zone. The F1 on the check instead of carries where they sometimes turn into turnovers. And if it means that we've got to pull back the reins on our defense uh, to not join it as much, so be it. We have to got. We have to protect the house. I know it's a you know 
uh, easy to say, but we have to do a better job of protecting the house. Let's start from there and then build it back out. Mm. Yeah. Um, do you scratch Klingberg to help make that happen? 100%. Yeah. Feels like 100%. It feels like there's just no other option at this point. The problem is, is like, uh, and I mentioned this on Leafs Talk the other day, you're about to take a trip to Sweden. And it like you have to play them there because if you don't, then it's just it's completely over. I don't I don't think that you can get past that with that player. Like he'll obviously take that as a huge embarrassment. Yeah, he would be completely mentally checked out. But let's let's uh, let's challenge him before that happens. Um, and let's also put ourselves in the skates of other guys in the room. Like mm-hmm. I know that's a team game, but you and I both know that anybody who's been involved in team sports, sometimes you're only as good as your weakest link. It's like if the mm-hmm. Toronto Blue Jays sub somebody out in the infield and he's a, he's a subpar defender. Somebody once always told me the ball always finds you. Like it'll mm-hmm. always find the weakest link. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the pucks and the, and the defensive play is finding Klingberg right now. He needs a rest, take a look from up above. But more importantly, the group gets the message then that when we're all, when somebody's, you know, being egregiously poor and, and struggling because that's what it is. I don't want to. I don't want to be a jerk about it, but that's what it is. Um, that that there's going to be a consequence for that, and I think we're at that stage. Yeah, uh, it seems pretty clear, especially after the last game, where yeah, there's there's a few moments in that game, especially the the fifth goal that the center score, where you just go, okay, you, you, like at some point you have to just hold the player completely accountable and say this isn't even near good enough. So you got to sit for a little while. Here's the other part. And I want to kind of do some rapid fire now to close this thing out. But do you think that the Leafs even have the personnel to have a, uh, let's just say above average penalty kill, like an average penalty kill. God, they, they'd kill for that right now. I don't actually, to be perfectly clear. The, the reason is that, uh, and I know you wanted a rapid fire. So let's do it this no, way. No, no, just more for me, rapid fire. Let's be clear. More okay. my questions, yeah. rapid more fire. Cause I drone on. So, like, Giordano, um, he's a warrior on the penalty kill. He's doing his best, as he, you know, but he's 40 years old. So when you get small area recoveries, especially down low, or the Tampa Bay Lightning starts zipping the puck through seams, so you got a lot of stops and starts and, you know, rotations and things like that, he gets tired very, very quickly. So that's, that's clearly an issue. Um, you know, the rest of the group, you know, Brody, actually, to, to be perfectly honest with Brody, I find like he's playing with way more composure, kind of keeping it even more safe so far this year. Not too bad. Um, but up front, uh, again, you know, like last year when we brought in certain guys, I could identify them as certain roles. Like I knew that uh, that O'Reilly was going to hopefully win the defense's own faceoff, even if he had, he had to get off. Tavares can do the same thing. Um, Achari, I knew he was going to block a shot with his forehead if it was required. You know what I mean? Like, so... Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm having a hard time. I feel like we're almost trying to get, um, at times, offense from the penalty kill. And and um, that's not realistic. Like, I, we just have to dummy it down. We have to get more commitment. I don't know who those guys are, though. Like, who's the most proficient shot blocker up front for the Leafs who's going to eat a puck all the time on the penalty kill? I don't know who that is. Mm. I'm having a hard time identifying the identity of the group. So um, we need to... Uh, I'm looking for them. I'm looking for somebody to come out of the woodwork and hopefully buy into whatever the coach is preaching there. What do you need to see from Robertson to know that he's going to actually stick this time in the NHL? Well, he had a fantastic training camp. He had a real nice start with the Marlies. Um, his, he's, he's got a lot of positive things going. He just has to stay healthy and he's got to be able to, um, 
I know that, and that's a hard one, right? Because when you, he does have some tenacity to him. Like he wants the puck. He wants to be a difference maker. Uh, but I just need it to be average on the defensive side. So take a bump to, to chip a puck into the neutral zone. And then I don't want anything to change offensively. I want him to, to continue on trying to be as aggressive, aggressive as he can with the puck on his stick and then skating to space off of it. Um, one thing he needs to do uh, at the NHL level is just avoid those heavy, hard areas, uh, exposing himself to uh, unnecessary contact um, to open up space for himself. And, and that's like a spatial awareness thing. And everything at the NHL happens so much quicker than any other league in the world. Mm-hmm. It takes time. So hopefully he stays healthy enough for a runway to, to make those adjustments. Both guys have been, frankly, just you know young journeymen. Let's put it that way. But do you think the Leafs have anything um, sustainable in William Lagason or Simon Benoit? Uh, they're bit parts. They're yeah. they're they're a seven and an eight. That's yeah. that's what they are. So I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to overhype that. Yeah, <laughs> that's that. Hey, guess what? Just based on the length of the answer, I think that was pretty telling. Uh, last one: If you were the director of amateur scouting for the Leafs, how would you be feeling about the Fraser Minton decision now with hindsight? No problem. Absolutely no problem. He earned the opportunity here in the runway. He's gone back. He's the captain at the major junior level. He'll go play at the World uh, World Juniors uh, for Team Canada. Uh, no issues whatsoever. And I actually appreciated how he kind of came out of the woodwork at camp. I tracked him right out of Traverse City all the way through. And uh, good on the kids. A uh, lot of preparation. And here's, I'll leave you with this, J.D. Like, uh, he he had a long year last year. Like Hamlet's hosted the Memorial Cup. Like this guy wasn't done till like June, and mm-hmm. then he comes to training camp that prepared. I said, let's say something about his character. Yeah, um, I, I also just anecdotally really like that he seems to be extremely mature, and and I, I feel like a guy with that kind of mental fortitude, even at his age, will probably deal with being able to have struggles at the NHL level, then going back and then not having it really affect him down the line. Like, is that your read on him too? Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. I think Cowan is uh, programmed a lot like that too. He's 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 got that energy type of um, he's got a little bit of rat to him, which is mm-hmm. a good thing. And um, but but let's not overhype this too. Like I want people to understand, Minton's a two and a half. Like he's mm-hmm. not a, he's not a full time top six guys. He's a he's a two and a half, and he's going to be a really good one. So he's going to be uh, potentially a better than secondary scorer, but he's going to do a whole bunch of other things very well for you. Wins and draws. Uh, potentially kill some penalties, match up with mid- against middle six uh, opponents on the road. So um, I know that, you know, we, we, we tend to eat our own in this market and mm. let's just keep it in perspective. Yeah. I think that that was why a lot of people out of Kamloops were surprised that he was going to stick with the team is where people that were daily observers thought he wasn't his game was pretty far removed from being a regular NHLer. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just, at first I thought maybe they regretted this decision given the way that he looked through the first couple of games and just how overwhelmed he, he was, even just physically, right, going into the corners with grown-ass men. But now I think about it, and I, I wanted to get your perspective on it because you're actually someone in the know. But, yeah, I, I, I think I'm, my feelings are pretty much aligned with yours. Uh, Jason, again, we'll definitely circle back after the next 10 games, and hopefully it's a little bit more uh, – yeah, hopefully it's a little rosier that time around. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah, sounds good to me. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the games this weekend. You too, pal. Uh, there goes Jason Bukla, hockey analyst for Sportsnet, former Panthers director of amateur scouting, guy who's had a really good read on the Leafs this season. Um, okay, I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to come back, and finally it's time for some football. This is a lot of hockey today, all right? We, we hockeyed out. 
We took hockey to the max today. We took hockey, pushed it into the red. I didn't have to do a Leafs talk tonight. I need a break. I need a break from hockey. I need to talk about the team that locally brings me the most joy. Overall, I think it might be UW. Nah, it's close. And until Michael Penix does the show, then <laughs> maybe it's, it's not that. We have Chad Kelly next, but also I want to hit on a couple of things I want to see this NFL Sunday. I keep waiting for Drew to drop like one in one of these beats. Like, DJ Drew. This is your time, buddy. Football. Maybe you'll retweet one of these. You know, we put out a clip. Maybe, maybe Drew will drop us a RT on some of our football content. I might have to. Yeah, you might have to. You definitely. Yeah, let's mix in a take from you. That's what I need from the Twitter feed this week. Um, Got a chance to talk to Chad Kelly yesterday. I'm going down to the Argos game on Saturday. Cannot wait. Just devastated that I have to do Leafs talk afterwards. Not going to lie. You will see You will see a broken man Saturday night on Leafs talk, knowing that I'm going with a big group of fellas. Everybody's going to be having a good time. And I'm myself and Sam McKee, who we're both going. He's part of the crew. We have to behave. And it's just hurts it hurts i enjoy the event i enjoy the sport i will be rooting that the number one priority here that's the reason why i'm going gotta support the team gotta support the argos they're gonna do over twenty five thousand of this game yeah. fingers crossed is a sellout fingers crossed i actually i normally don't do this stuff even though i did try to sell tickets for uh the hockey hall of fame game i actually do think that the hockey hall of fame game though i stand on that that's a real this is a true endorsement i've been to it it's really fun it is enjoyable to see um, so many different legends on the ice all at once. It just is. It's just the, the nostalgia sweeps over. It's nice. It's a nice little warm blanket. It's cool seeing that many stars all in one place. Plus, you get to see what Christopher Stieg has left in the tank. Probably not a lot, if I had to guess. Uh, but it's cheap. It's an easy Sunday activity. Just one of those things where, yeah, if you're a hockey fan, you're city adjacent. You got a family. You want to actually go down to Scotiabank and be able to afford a ticket to something where you get to see a, a fun product. I would do it. Um, but I also never go like buy Blue Jays tickets, buy Leafs tickets. I never, I, you got to go to tonight's game. I'm, I'm never that guy. You got to go to the Sargos game. I'm telling you. If it's going to be a sellout, it's going to be 25 to 28 thou. Double blue packed in. This isn't going to be some lame half Hamilton crowd. Those are fun. I don't want to say lame because those are fun. And sometimes the players on the Argos fight the Diecats fans, which is a nice added bonus to the affair. Uh, But it's going to be cool to see that many Argos fans, people actually rooting on this football team at BMO, my favorite venue in the entire city. Oh yeah, what are you, why are you even looking at me? What's it even? What's it even close to? It's by far the best one. It's not even like from an aesthetic standpoint, watching sports. BMO beats the brakes off of the Rogers Center and Scotiabank. Like not, not close. Not close. Not close. Not close. There's nothing remotely in the conversation of BMO on a beautiful night. Whew, love it. Wear a jacket. Long johns. Yeah, it's supposed to be cold. Yeah, you guys are cowards. Well, Long John. I think I'm going songs. too. I was yeah. looking at tickets and they're yeah, like, you should, 
Dude, tickets are totally reasonable. They're so reasonable, and what you were saying to sell out, like, mm-hmm. there's not a lot left. No, man, this is this is gonna be cool. I'm I'm really stoked on this. I just wish I could wash it all down with five to six delicious Bud Lights, <laughs> and I will. Um, uh, first of all, a cold game, you got to start with a nice IPA. Got to start with a nice, beautiful, tall boy IPA. Really get in the mood and then cool down with the Bud Light Regiment. That's the way to do this game. Possibly if you're bringing in a coffee, you're bringing something or, you know, you're, if you're on the coffees, let's just say you're on Coffee Plus. Coffee Jameson. Co- <laughs> I didn't say that. That's you, bad boy. I'm just saying Coffee Plus, right? It could be sugar. It could be whatever you want it to be. I, I love the atmosphere down at these games. I think that the people who have not been to these things who actually get to watch Chad Kelly play are going to be blown away at how good this guy is. And there's some funny stuff in the interview of just how long he even knew about the rules and the the ball, the dimensions, the the players, uh, yeah, basically everything. And he just he just stepped in here and he's really really good at it. Anyways, here's my interview with Chad Kelly. Very very happy to be chatting to Argos QB one All Star Chad Kelly. How are we feeling, brother? Playoffs this week. Finally, finally meaningful games for you. Yeah, it feels amazing to finally get here um, at this moment, kind of what we've been waiting for all season long, all the hard work and, and dedication and focus we've we've put in. And, you know, now is the time it all pays off, one, one game at a time, one play at a time, and, and we'll be ready to go. Seriously, though, how hard was it to stay locked in for this long? Because you guys clinched in, uh, what, two months ago? You've been playing all these games. I know they rested you for one. They went, okay, you know, we, we got to try to take you up for one of these. You got to balance that whole, we're staying sharp. We're taking these games seriously. It is still football. It's a physical sport. But yeah, how, how hard was it for you at times not to check out? Um, you know, I, I don't think very hard just because I love the game. I, I, I love to win. And even if I'm not out there, I'm, I'm trying to help the other guys um, to see what I was seeing and just, you know, try to share as much knowledge as I can for them to go out and win. So it w- it wasn't very very hard at all. Yeah. Oh, I I know you lock in because I I tried to dap you up when you were walking down the tunnel. I think it's a, one of the Ticats games. Completely blown off. Nothing. Just s- straight stare forward. No dap. It hurt. It hurt. I, I had the hand out. You know how it feels. You you get left hanging. It's pain. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, at that moment, I don't want anybody to touch my hands. I don't want anybody to to interfere with with my focus. It's all right. I forgive you. You you dial it up, and you also crushed some overs on props that day. So you sent the boys home happy with a ton of money. I'm I'm going to this game. Uh, I'm I gotta work. I gotta do a, a Leafs game right after you guys. I've been to a bunch this year. They've been awesome. You guys have 25k that you're anticipating for this game. They're finally selling the the upper bowls out. They maybe have a sell. It looks like you're going to have the largest crowd ever at BMO. That, like, I, I know you haven't been here a long time, but it actually does feel like you guys are having a moment in the city. I, I wonder if you feel it too. Um, You know, I, I, I do, but I don't. You know, a lot of guys don't spend much time down in the city. We're kind of just so focused on the job at hand that we don't really even, you know, look at exterior things. We're focused um, on going 1-0 and and winning this week. But, you know, obviously you can feel the buzz just with everybody talking about it. But other than that, I think everybody's just focused on, on what we need to do, and, and that's Montreal. Yeah, this is going to be the first Argos game I've ever been to where I can't have a beer. 
And I'm, yeah. I need, it's, like, the atmosphere needs to be good. You guys need to win. I can't be sitting there in the cold, Chad, and you guys, like, lose this game, and I'm just sitting there with no delicious Bud Lights. Like, that is that is just not the recipe for me. But the crowds have been good, man. It's, like, I, I keep telling people, it is really one of the best live events in the entire city. Uh, the game is great. You've had this incredible year. The fans have really come out. You guys have dominated. Like, I think, what, you, you lost two games this season? I think you, as a starter, you, you lost one of these games. You guys stayed locked in. You, yeah, you crushed your opponents basically all year long. I'm excited to see kind of what the atmosphere is going to be like. Because, yeah, it really does feel like the Argos are back in the city. And, yeah, like, you, you haven't been here a long time. You get this incredible introduction, which is you come in for uh, Bethel Thompson. He comes in, or he comes out. You come in, you have this huge rush play, you guys come back, you win a Grey Cup, and the questions are in the offseason, like people that I was talking to had were, okay, well, how is he actually going to be as a starter? How is he going to adapt to this game? And it's just been so fast, man. And, and there's been a lot of guys that were high-pedigree quarterbacks from the States that have come up here, and it, it hasn't been the same success. And, and I wonder, how did you adapt so quickly? Um, I think just in my mind, I wanted to be the best player, you know, in the CFL. And, you know, obviously it takes a lot of hard work, dedication, and focus to, to get to, you know, a point to even be able to accomplish something like this. And, you know, I I just believe that I was going to do it. And when you believe in yourself, you believe in the guys around you. And don't try to do too much and do your job to the best of your abilities. Good things happen. And, um, that's where I am mentally, and, and I think a lot of guys in this room um, feel they're the best because we've put in a lot of hard work and time, and everybody's you know focused on the job at hand. What was the hardest part for you personally? I think the hardest part was just getting used to you know having an extra Mike linebacker safety back there. Really, mm-hmm. it wasn't the ball. Nah, the ball was easy. Ball was the easy part. I I I still remember the first time um, Dave and Danny sent me uh, football to the house, and you know I was I was actually on a work trip um, building gyms, and my brother I I got him sent to um, the house, and my brother was the first one to to get him. I was like, hey, open the box right now and tell me what you think. He said, yo, I think these are smaller than NFL balls. He said, if you can't throw it seventy yards, then something's wrong with you. So uh, I think that gave me some confidence right away. I, I love that the confidence right away was just someone trash talking you, being like, "Man, you're, you're you're not very strong. You can't throw this ball very far." And you're like, "I'll show you. I'll throw I'll throw this bar. I'll throw this so far. You're not even gonna believe it." I, I'm surprised that you had never, because you're a Buffalo guy. I'm surprised that like you had never held one before, see, or like had one in your hands. Yeah, never, never before. That was that was really the first time ever. Yeah, because I would have thought that at some point, you know, you'd have been at a Bills tailgate and people would have been chucking it around, and you would have said, "Let me see that thing. Let me let me see that. Give me give me that. What is yeah. this?" I, I I think I always just had an NFL ball. That was that was yeah. what it was. Yeah, of course. I just I also love though that you're coming up to the CFL and the ball is just sight unseen. You're like, "Yeah, I'll see it in a box." Send me it in a box. Yeah, I'll figure it out. You're just like, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. I'll see you guys up there. I'll, I'll be there for training camp I, I, for sure. I, yeah. I, I do remember that was that was one of my favorite moments. So it was like, you know, picking up a new football that I've never, you know, seen in person and felt in person. It was just something, you know, extraordinary that, you know, a guy like myself who, you know, I didn't anticipate coming up here, but, you know, God works in mysterious ways. And it was 
just kind of a relief, like, hey, this is this is going to be easy to throw. We're good. Well, what was that process like then? Because, yeah, you'd, you'd never thrown a CFL ball. I'm guessing you'd, you'd been to Toronto before, right? Or no? Uh, no, I had had never. Had never been you'd to never Toronto been either. never been to Toronto. Okay, so you'd nope. never been to the city. You'd never thrown a CFL ball. Here's my guess based on those things. You weren't watching CFL. You you weren't like, let me check this CFL game on. Let me check this out. <laughs> you know? Uh, so how does the how does a process like this begin? Is this just like a conversation no, with your agent no. where you're saying, find me like find me a job, find me somewhere to play? And he no, says, Hey, this no. is an option. No, I I you know, I, I still remember um obviously naming Roosevelt is, is one of my close friends. Um, you know, a guy who I looked up to. I, I went to St. Joe's really because of him. And, you know, he played quarterback in high school and then obviously had a, a fantastic career in the CFL. But I still remember I was in Texas watching, um, I think it was Ottawa and Hamilton play. And I was just kind of watching the game in Texas with, you know, my girlfriend at the time. And it was just something surreal. I was like, man, this looks wild. Then all of a sudden, like, I'm seeing, you know, things on TV. They're like, oh, here's a one point there, one point here. I'm like, wait, what? Like, I couldn't understand the rules. And then, yeah. you know, I, I finally just kind of I, – I, I remember seeing it was like Vernon Adams and Jeremiah Masoli. So I was a little familiar with, you know, who those guys were, you know. And it was just kind of surreal moment watching that. And then I kind of turned it off. I was just like, I don't know. I, I don't really understand the rules. And it seems a little confusing for me. And then – you know, a couple of weeks later, I believe my agent was saying, hey, um, you know, you're signed to Edmonton. Um, you know, they, they kind of want you right now and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, all right, well, you know, I, I'd love to be able to, you know, end up in Toronto and that's where I wanted to play. And, you know, um, Murphy and them made it happen where I was able to get here. Hey, bro, uh, since you've now been to Edmonton, good call. Good, good call, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I would like to play, but not there. <laughs> That's uh, yeah. I would like to play in the in the in the big city, in the nice in the nicest city. That that was a good choice. Uh, I mean this very respectfully. It kind of pisses me off a little bit as a Canadian that you just were like, yeah, yeah, send me the ball in a box. I don't really know the rules. Cool, I'll be the best quarterback in the league a year later. I mean, it's it's kind of the truth, really. <laughs> yeah, it's not kind of the truth. It's a hundred percent the truth. You have had a dominant, like you've had a dominant season, man. And the league suits you too, right? As a dual threat guy, like with all the space, the receivers, it just like it really does feel like a, a real match that's been made for you. Yeah, I I think it's definitely an an offensive advantage having the defense, you know, be a yard off the ball, um, having guys have a running start, obviously. You know, playing backyard football your whole life, it, it feels like that's what you're playing out here. And, you know, obviously there's, you know, the new nuances you can and can't do. But I, I think that, you know, it definitely fits my style of what I've always played, and that's kind of backyard football. Mm-hmm. Hey, so, yeah, again, you did come up here, you did win a Grey Cup. And you had an off season. I know you've been locked in recently, but yeah, you signed a three year extension. Um, you got paid. That was nice immediately. The Argos were like, "Hey, we want you here." They were serious with the money. But do you do you feel connected to the city now? Like, have you have you had some time to spend like at all in Toronto during the off season? Like, have you been able to kind of soak it in somewhat? Yeah, I definitely have. You know, I'm I'm getting ready to uh, do my first Chad Kelly Christmas. Um, this December um, in Toronto uh, with, you know, hopefully have 50 to 100 kids. 
um, where I can donate, you know, some some gifts to them. Um, and you know, I think uh, you know the past year and a half, I've been able to give back and you know try to let these kids around the city know it's it's pretty dang cool to play for the Toronto Argos and it's fun to watch CFL football and play it and you know just never give up on your dreams because you could be in a position I'm in. Yeah, where can people look into that? Where where can they go donate if they wanna they wanna learn more about uh, Jack Kelly Christmas? We'll, we'll we'll have we'll have more details soon. Um, we're just finalizing. Um, we're we're hoping to do maybe a toy drive too. Um, but uh, okay. closer to the date, we'll have um, more ideas on where you can donate. And uh, you know, we look forward to um, having everybody you know contribute. So again, so, you are a Buffalo guy. So you have played in the cold. You did it last year. Um, I'm I'm sure this wasn't like a shock to you, but I always say to people like, man, BMO's so nice in the summer, and I like going like I, I always go to the cold weather games. I actually had a friend a couple of years ago come with us to his first game, and he didn't bring a jacket; he just wore a hoodie, and it didn't go it didn't go well for him. He was chattering the entire time. He's running to the bathroom trying to warm up his hands in the sink, drinking hot chocolates and coffees the entire game. But do you? Like, do you feel pretty comfortable in the cold? Like, do you feel this is completely fine for me? Because, yeah, like, where you played college is very different from where you grew up. But how are you yeah. with this climate now? Yeah, I, I feel very comfortable. I mean, when it's snowing out, I'm not I'm not a guy to sit in the house and, and bundle up. I'm a guy that wants to go outside, throw snowballs at stop signs, uh, maybe even a couple passing cars. Um, no, yeah. no, no uh, serious intent. Uh, but uh, that's kind of how I grew up. That was that was something that I always thought was fun, and and I enjoy doing. Um, you know, being out in the cold. It would suck so bad to get your car hit by one of your snowballs, and then you get out, and you start to yell <laughs> at you, and then you've got the arm of a QB one, and you're just pinning somebody down with snowballs. So you get out, you think you're tough, and then you just immediately have to get back in your car because you're starting to get pelted. Not great. Hey, man, this was really fun. Uh, I'm excited to watch you guys again in meaningful games because, yes, I was at uh, – I was like I, I watched you guys clinch, and then it felt a little bit like, okay, uh, maybe they would take a step back. Maybe something would happen. It's just like been utter domination the entire way through. I think that that's going to bode you guys well on Saturday. Again, the game is in the afternoon. Uh, I will be down there. I will not try to dap you up again. I'll, I'll let you focus on the game, bro. I appreciate it. Go Argos. Go Argos. Take care, man. There goes Chad Kelly, Argos QB, and CFL All-Star. Go Argos. I can't state that enough. Go Argos. I love that he got CFL ball in a box. And he was like, they were like, yeah, all right. And then his brother basically was like, what? Not strong? Can't Can't throw that? No better way to motivate that's basically the origin story of the best quarterback in the CFL is his brother said, look at that ball you've never seen before. You can't throw that 70 yards. Yikes. Embarrassing for you, possibly. Love that story. Love that. Love that. Love that. Glad we got to get into it. Anyways, uh, normally we close out the show with uh, what we missed, but today it's Friday and I want to touch on NFL Sunday because it's going to be this, this weekend is going to be Friday, Leafs talk tonight. Woof. Saturday night, Leafs talk after the Argos game. No weekend. So my, my rest my rest is going to come in the form of NFL football. An entire day of just wasting. That, by the way, the primetime games, they're horrific this week. They're so, so bad. bad. So bad. 
But the, the positive spin, because I'm, people say I'm negative. Look at how positive I'm being all the time these days. I'm a, I'm a glass half full. I can't even say it. That's how much of a fraud I am. I'm a glass half full guy. The rest of the slate this week is loaded. It's a good slate. I was going through it. The games that I care the most about, and there's actually a bunch of them that I want to do. So yeah, show me something Sunday. Number one is Niners Jags. This is a this is a huge game for both teams. Like the Niners have gone from everybody's favorite Super Bowl pick, the envy of everyone. Oh, they could just take Mr. Olive and turn him into a, a Pro Bowl quarterback. Chase Daniel on here is like playing like a top five QB. Last couple of weeks, no, 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 no. If you've bet on the Niners, then you know they they have not been hit. They've had some bad luck, right? The Browns game where the kicker pushes a field goal and it's a really makeable one. It's not like yesterday where Frank Reich decided to put his kicker up for a 60-yarder to win the game. That was tough. That was a tough decision. It's like, yeah, don't worry. Just go out there and nail this one. Like, hmm, interesting play call, Frank. Interesting. Are you know you don't have your pick, right? <laughs> Maybe he just found that out yesterday that the Bears have the pick. You saw the graphic afterwards after the game. But yeah, Niners three game losing streak, Jags five game winning streak. Feel like this is a game where if the Niners beat the Jags and they're on the road, they're favorites by the way, three point favorites. That was a little interesting. Thought that maybe this would be one of those pick 'em games where the Jags get the the one point fav. Niners three point favorites coming off a bye. Get it? Same with the Jags. But still, this this feels like a real. This is one of those games we can we can take a lot from. If Jacksonville shuts down Brock Purdy and that defense continues to look solid against Kyle Shanahan, then we know they're legit. And then secondarily, the Niners' defense is really good. It's really talented. They're going to be rested. If if you're really going to believe that this team is a Super Bowl contender, it's not going to be on the backs of the defense for the Jaguars. Blake Murphy knows this. Number one Jags fan wore his Jags hat on the show yesterday. I went, oof, it's probably the most important week of his life since the Patriots screwed them over in the Blake Bortles game where it was clearly a return TD and they called it back because the Patriots always get to cheat. Just an incredible, incredible run of cheating. Truly a dynastic group of cheaters. You're going to believe the Jaguars are a contender if Trevor Lawrence can throw for 300 yards against this Niners team or if they can move the ball. I don't, I don't care how you do it. Run the ball effectively, throw the ball effectively, but I want to see Trevor Lawrence dime it. I want to see this offense put up some points against the San Francisco 49ers. If they score, like, let's put it this way. If the Jags win this game like 24 to 17, that's unbelievably impressive. They break the 20, they, they score more than 21 points in this game and I'm going, damn, I like what I see, Jacksonville Jaguars. And all of a sudden, when you're projecting the AFC playoff picture, you you kind of have to throw the Jags in there as potential contenders. If they have the quarterback that everyone wants Trevor Lawrence to be and a defense that has been one of, I think one of the smallest stories so far this season has been Jacksonville's defense over the course of this run. Like they were the first ones to completely tear apart the Buffalo Bills. Buffalo Bills, oh, man, what a team. What an offense. They just absolutely crushed the Miami Dolphins. And then, oh, well, it was probably just that they were in London. It's like, nah, maybe these guys are good. Maybe the Jacksonville Jaguars are a really good football team. That that potential might actually be on the table. So this is the most interesting one. And then this is compounded from a Niners side of if they lose four straight and they lose it in a particular way, which is Brock Purdy has to throw the ball because they can't get the running game going. Sneaky. McCaffrey scores a touchdown every week. Everybody loves him in fantasy. He's been the fantasy player of the year. But if you go look at the rushing stats over the last three, it's it's not very pretty. He's been hurting there, but it hasn't been great. 
and they need to be able to run the ball to set up the pass, and they haven't been able to ever show any Kyle Shanahan team. Zero Kyle Shanahan teams have ever proven that they could be passed first. So what happens if they have to be in that mode throughout this weekend against a good defense? This is a huge, huge, huge game for Brock Purdy because if he cannot do it, I don't think he's going to get benched especially since they just had their bye week, right? Where he would have gotten all the reps again. But if, if he stinks this week, if he's really bad, he throws for two interceptions and the Niners can't crack the 20 point margin. And the reason they lose this game again is that they can't throw the football. There's going to be a lot of Sam Darnold conversations. There's going to be a lot of, well, wasn't Sam Darnold the preseason darling and wasn't Sam Darnold the reason that you guys traded Trey Lance and blah, 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 so forth and so on. And it's not, again, I don't think that Brock Purdy gets benched for the following game, but I think that the clock starts ticking on a potential for a change. Um, Next. I think Bengals Texans is just entertaining. I really don't care what happens here. To me, it's going to be a a comeback down to earth game a little bit, probably. 